over the past um, several weeks, uh, we began in January, looking at the kingdom, talking about the kingdom of heaven. And we saw where Jesus in his inaugural address talked about the kingdom of heaven is near and he called us to repent. Then we went to the Gospel of Matthew, the 13th chapter. So we look at the series of parables there that Jesus told about the kingdom. And he would say, the kingdom of heaven is like. And he told these parables where we ended that last week about the parable of the net or the dragnet, about the fish being caught in a time of judgment for everybody. And a sober reminder to us that there are only one of two destinies where you can spend eternity, either in heaven or in hell. Today we're going to look at a parable about the kingdom, but it's in Luke 14. And just very simply, the kingdom implication for today is just very clear right at the beginning. And that is that God wants everyone to be saved and to be a part of His kingdom. We had a guy advertising that with his t-shirt on. Should have a picture of that hopefully. Do we? No? Alright. Well I thought we had a picture there with that. Anyway, the, the gracious love of God, there it is. God wants you to be saved. That's a YouTube, I thought that was neat. You to be saved. I'm glad we got, finally got the picture up there. Okay. Alright, so it's in God's gracious love and that He invites everyone to come to His kingdom where there will be a place of celebration and feasting. Now we're going to look at that parable in just a moment, but before we do, I want us to put it into context. Uh, when we look at Luke 14, we find that Jesus is at the home of a Pharisee having a meal. And he notices two things. First of all, he notices how people take their seats at the table. If you'll look at verse 7, that people began to take some of the honored seats when they would come in. And so Jesus taught him a lesson about humility. And he said, you might not want to take the honored seat because somebody might come and say, that's my seat and you need to move farther down. So he's teaching them a lesson about humility. And then he talked about the fact that this Pharisee was obviously giving a, a great feast and a banquet so that he could invite his friends and, and neighbors and, to come and so that he could kind of show off for them. And then they in turn would reciprocate with a meal and invite him. And Jesus said, don't do that. He said, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. I thought that's an interesting way he phrased that. They may invite you back. And so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now those are some strong, powerful words that Jesus is speaking. Now that leads us then to the text. And it's introduced, the parable is introduced by a comment that a man makes at the table here at the dinner. So beginning in verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. As if everybody is going to be a part of that. And so Jesus told this parable. He said, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, 
Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Where have you heard that just a few moments ago? That's what Jesus said you need to invite when you're going to have a banquet. Invite those people. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in. King James says, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Uh, This is an intriguing parable to me that Jesus tells about the kingdom. And it's the kingdom invitation. An invitation for us because God wants everybody to be saved and to be a part of his kingdom. And so he sends out invitations to this glorious feast. So let's look what happens as Jesus tells the story, okay? Notice first, then, God's gracious invitation. As Jesus tells this parable about the invitation, the host is God who is sending out us a gracious invitation. We got, I think, a painting from some time back that kind of pictures what it might have looked like in a great banquet hall. Now, it helps us to understand in the context of this parable that back in the time that Jesus would have told this, that the great banquet was used as a metaphor for the place where God addresses our deepest needs, whether it's the Last Supper or whether it is the marriage supper of the Lamb in the book of Revelation. These images of the great banquet symbolizes God's heart-throbbing desire to accomplish three vital transformation in our hearts. This is what takes place in our life in the kingdom of heaven. First of all, the great banquet symbolizes God's desire to bring us into intimate relationship with Him. See, God is not content with being somebody that we've heard about or that we've read about or that we've talked about, or that we've considered him from a distance. But he wants to be the intimate presence at the banquet table where we are gathered with him. And he wants us to be in an intimate relationship with him. So God wants that intimate relationship, and we find that at the banquet. Second, the great banquet symbolizes God's desire to fill us with his life-renewing power. God wants to be the living water, the bread of life from which we derive a supernatural strength and power for living. And finally, the great banquet symbolizes God's desire to reorient our hearts to life in his kingdom. See, we were made to be wise stewards of every resource because they all belong to the king. We were made to shape a planet where hard work and rest are in balance, where justice is tempered with mercy, where personal freedom is balanced with communal responsibility, because that's how the king lives. That was what the implication was back in the Garden of Eden, when God created everything that there was and told man to go out and to subdue it. That doesn't mean that we're supposed to go out and bring it to its knees. And to ruin creation. But he's talking about a world order here as to how we're supposed to live. You see, we were made, we were intended to build families and businesses and communities and societies that show compassion and forgiveness to one another. 
and which call for the best out of each other because that's what the king does. You see, in this great banquet, it's a metaphor for the engagement with God that enables our hearts to find peace, contentment, forgiveness, joy, and fulfillment. And that's what life in the kingdom is really all about. Living life in the kingdom of God is not dull. It's not boring. It's not a drudgery. But Jesus described it as being abundant life. Everything coming that's full and free and that fills us with excitement for living in that intimate relationship with God. And it is so because it's that place where we find acceptance and forgiveness and fulfillment. And we experience that only in relationship with God. And we don't need to do anything to experience that kingdom life. God through Christ has done it all for us. All we have to do is to believe and accept. Whenever we get invited to go to someone's house for a meal, my wife usually asks, well, what can I bring? And I think that's kind of a polite southern thing that we do. And always the answer, oh, nothing, just bring your appetite. And that's always good because I've always got one. And we don't need to bring anything to God's salvation banquet. In fact, in the parable in verse 17, when they came back and said, it's time to come to the banquet, they said, come, everything is now ready. You see, that's God's gracious invitation where he invites all of us to come. Have you ever thought, have you ever caught when you read through the Bible, the number of times and the places and the circumstances where God uses the word come? It's one of his favorite words. Come. He has Jesus speak it in Matthew 11, 28. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There are some of you here today who need God's rest. You're heavy laden with the burdens of life and the things that have come upon you. Let God take that burden from you. Come unto God. Back in the day of Noah, When the waters of judgment came, God said to Noah, come into the ark. And some of you are here today who need to escape from the world today and the judgment to come. And you need to come into the safety of the ark. And God says, come. Now I love Isaiah 1, 18. God says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Maybe you're here today still dressed in the the filthy garments of your own self-righteousness. And you need to have your soul cleansed from sins and you can only find that in a relationship with God. Come. And then God has one final invitation at the end of the book of Revelation and the end of the Bible and he says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. You see, from Genesis to Revelation, God has been holding out his arms in a gracious invitation to everyone To you and to me and to everyone. And he says, come. The banquet is ready. The feast is ready. Come. Everything is made ready. Now notice then what happens. 
when they come back after the invitations have been sent out, which was the custom of that day, kind of like our save the date day that you get invitations in the mail now about whatever it's for a wedding or an anniversary celebration or something important. About six months ahead of time you get a save the date card and then the invitation follows after that. Well, that's the way it worked in uh, ancient Palestine and Middle East as well. They would send out an invitation and say on such and such a day there's going to be a banquet. You're going to be invited. We will send out a time later on. And so then they would send out the people with the message and says, come, everything is now ready. So that's what happens in the story. But notice what happens. God's gracious invitation is refused with graphic insults. Verse 18 says, they all alike began to make excuses. You see, the invitation had already come. And then the servants were sent out to say to everybody who had received the invitation, everything's ready, now it's time for you to come. And everybody who had said yes and accepted the invitation began to make excuses. In the Middle East, to refuse an invitation was a grievous insult to the host. In fact, it was like slapping him or her in the face. If you look in verse 21, we're told that the owner of the house became angry. Who do you think that is who's sending out the invitation to the banquet? That's God. Have you ever caught the fact that maybe God gets a little angry, a little peeved in the fact that He has done all of this to offer you salvation and prepared a banquet and a feast and eternal life and all you do is come up with empty excuses? A little research on the internet will tell you that there are a multitude of websites that will suggest hundreds of excuses that you need for any situation. The one I liked I looked at this week was about um, falling asleep at work. And you get caught falling asleep. And you, know, so I, you know what that's like. You're sitting there at the desk and you kind of nod off and then you happen to look and you see a set of feet standing there at the desk. It ain't yours, you know. Here's a good line to come with. They told me this might happen at the blood bank. Yep. The best one of all, all of a sudden lift your eyes and say, Amen. <laughs> well, there are three great reasons or excuses given here in the parable. And on the surface, they might appear to be genuine reasons, legitimate reasons. But when we understand each one of these excuses, we'll find that they're very flimsy. It's simply because the people didn't want to attend the party. Excuse number one, verse 18. I got to take care of my stuff. The guy says, I just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Do you think this guy bought this piece of land without looking at it first? I think very few of us would do that, but that's the implication. I bought a piece of property. I got to go take a look at it. This was a man who was possessed by his possessions, his stuff. And we see that today, don't we? Many lives are spent today buying more and spending their time taking care of what they've bought, which really now owns them. i got to maintain my stuff. I'm too busy. Then the second excuse is found in verse 19. I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. What's the excuse? Well, my work keeps me too busy. I want you to hear this. I'm not, I'm not 
saying this to people who have to work occasionally on Sundays. But I am pointing out something here about the Lord's Day. These feasts were always held in the evening. Who would go out and plow the oxen at night? And who, it seems like, would buy them without having tried them out? We know he didn't buy them off of Craigslist or eBay. That wasn't in existence then. But there are some people who are just so consumed with work. My work keeps me too busy that God has no place in their life. And then the third one, I like this one. I can't come, I just got married. Now, that was a legitimate reason. If this put it in the time frame, we don't know what the time frame is. But obviously, from when Jesus is telling this parable, it really hadn't just gotten married. But there was a rule in that day that if you got, when, you, when a man got married, he was exempt from certain things. I think from serving on certain uh, uh, judiciary courts, serving in the town, and serving in the military. He was exempt for a year. And I think that was a great thing. So they could settle down and spend a year getting their family, getting their, their marriage together, and getting off to a good start. But the reality is, I think with the way Jesus tells this story, this is only a flimsy excuse. He'd been married for a while. He just didn't want to go either. He said, my family comes first. And family must be a priority today. The Bible always teaches us that. But the Bible also teaches us a higher priority, doesn't it? And Jesus said, you have to love me more than you love your family. It's got to be a higher priority to be a part of the kingdom of God. Never ceases to amaze me about people so busy that the only time they can take off and have family time is on God's day, on God's time. And oftentimes when I hear people talk about, we're having family time, I'll later on see that family scattered all over northeast Columbia. They're not doing family time, they're doing their own thing, on God's time. Gordon McDonald, pastor and writer, tells a story about the original white elephant gift. We have some of those parties sometimes. We bring a white elephant gift to exchange. Well, it goes back to the days of the king of Siam. And whenever he had an enemy that he wanted to torment and destroy, he would send a real live white elephant. It was an albino elephant. Very, very rare. And also very exotic. And also considered to be very sacred in that day. So what did that have to do with the enemy? Well, the enemy knew that he had to take care of that elephant because it was considered sacred. And so he was, had to be consumed about taking care of that white elephant. And every bit of his resources, time, money, energy, all of that was consumed with taking care of the white elephant to finally... What happened is what the king of Siam knew would happen. The enemy would absolutely, literally kill himself, destroy himself in the burdensome process of caring for that white elephant gift. You know, our spiritual enemy does the same thing, uses the same strategy with us today. It's just different things. Like you got season tickets to your favorite sports team. Well, you can't miss out on God's on going to the ball game because you paid for the tickets, right? 
You buy a house. It's either in the mountains or the beach or the lake or whatever. You got to get your enjoyment. You work all week long, so what do you do on the weekend? You go to the house at the beach, the lake, or the mountain. Oh, this is one of the biggest ones today. You sign your team up for a traveling sports uh, team. You sign your kid up for a traveling sports team. Somebody's told you, you, you know, you keep him, you keep him or her in this, and they're going to they play pro ball one of these days. Less than one-tenth of one percent of all those children on these traveling teams ever make it to the pro level. And that's from Tony Dungy. I quote that from him. What happens is you become unavailable for God's kingdom. Those are all flimsy excuses. Now, notice what happens next. God's gracious invitation is granted to everyone. And the master of the house learned about all the excuses and he became angry about that. He was insulted. He didn't count for the party. But instead he expanded the invitation list and he sent the servants out. And what did he tell them to do? Go out in the highways and hedges and everywhere and bring in all people. We've got a picture of that as to what that might look like today. Notice that around the table is exactly the crowd Jesus described in verses 12 through 14. And God wanted to show that his love is for everyone. Everyone is invited to come to the banquet table. And there again we find him saying, come and make them come. An interesting thing takes place. Our roles change in the parable. For those of us who have accepted God's invitation to his salvation party, we are now the servants that he sends out to deliver the invitation. We go to deliver the invitation and we do all we can to get people to come in, make them come in, compel them to come in, King James says. Why? Because God wants his house to be full. Somebody once said there are only two kinds of people on this earth. Those who put people in only two groups and those who don't. Jesus definitely put people into two groups. He said, you're either part of the kingdom or you're not. You're either for me or you're against me. You're either gathering for me or you're scattering against me. Right now, you're either someone who has accepted God's invitation or you have refused it. What are you going to do? So the invitation is still there. Because God wants everyone, this is the kingdom initiative, kingdom implication, and that is that God wants everyone to be saved and to be a part of his kingdom. The invitation has been issued. Everything has been made ready. Are you ready to come? If you've never come to that table and received the forgiveness of your sins, and know the peace and joy of having your, your guilt removed. And knowing an intimate relationship with God the Father. Then come to the table. Come to the banquet. Come to the feast this morning. Now if you have received that invitation and you have responded. Remember your role has now changed. Whom have you invited recently to the kingdom banquet? 
You are now part of the kingdom and you are now the servant of God. And he sends you out and he says, go and compel those to come in that my house might be full. You see, God wants everybody to be a part of his kingdom. He wants everybody to receive the invitation and to respond. But then for everybody to hear the invitation, we who are a part of the kingdom have to do our part. We have to now do the inviting. And say, come, everything is now made ready. That's the challenge for us today. Obviously, if you haven't accepted the invitation and come to the table and experience that intimate relationship with God, hear his favorite word, come. And come to the table. That if you've received that and you're part of that kingdom, then you're a servant who goes with that same message. And you say, come. For God wants you in his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today once again for the kingdom. And that you sent Jesus Christ into this world to say, come. Come unto me. Come and come to the Come to the banquet that my Father has prepared. Come and find joy and peace and acceptance. And we thank you for that invitation. We also thank you, Father, that as we have come to receive that, that you now entrust us to go and to tell others, come. Because my Father wants you in his kingdom. And he wants you at the table. Father, for any decision today that needs to be made through the movement and the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, I trust that they will be made for your glory. In the name of Jesus. Amen.